Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where a group of experts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. When the pandemic started, we all went home to work. My assumption at that time was that before long, we'd all return to the office and things would go back to normal. How wrong I was. In the last few months, we've seen different offices around the world reopen and welcome back their employees, only to close down again a few months later. As COVID-19 and its variants cause infection rates to wax and wane around the globe, the work scenario remains in flux. It's clear that there's no finish line here, just a shifting situation that leaves businesses constantly adapting. In some areas where vaccinations are available and local regulations allow, some workers are returning to the office, but not all of them. The trend is that organizations have a mix of different work scenarios. Some employees are working in the office full-time, some are at home full-time, and some are doing a bit of both. Just as we all felt like we were getting used to remote collaboration, we now have to shift to a new way of working, hybrid collaboration. Here to discuss this with us today is Jason Bromit, Head of Modern Work and Security Business Group at Microsoft. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Brian. Nice Nice to see you again or talk to you again. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, good to catch up with you too, Jason. And we're also joined by Ken Weston. He's an analyst at Infotech Research Group that specializes in hybrid collaboration solutions. Thank you for having me, Brian. Great to have you here, Ken. You know, Jason, I heard about Satya Nadella's talking about the hybrid work paradox. And I thought this was an interesting idea that the Microsoft CEO would sort of put forward this new idea of the hybrid work paradox. And uh, I'll just leave it to you to tell us what it is. Sure, absolutely, Brian. It, um, this idea of the hybrid work paradox uh, that you mentioned was something that I'll say Satya coined uh, coming out of our 2021 work trend index research, which found, generally speaking, that, that employees crave more in-person time with their team, but also have a high degree of demand and expectation, frankly, for the flexibility of remote work. What the study also found is that every person is different. of employees who plan to spend the most and least time in office are doing it for the same reason, more focused work. But there's also gaps to fill. Managers plan to spend a higher share of their time in office than non-managerial employees, about 45% versus 39%. And moreover, employees surveyed plan to go into the office more than managers expect. When you think about those two sort of conflicting or, or parallel sets of data, that, that idea or that complexity of being able to find the balance is what Satya had referred to as this hybrid paradox. And solving this challenge will, in many cases, be the challenge of the decade. It's not just about the data. It's not just about the people. It's about the processes and the policies and technology tuned for flexibility. But those themselves are not enough alone. What we truly believe is that leaders must recognize that our new data shows there's no one-size-fits-all to hybrid approach. As employee expectations continue to change, the dynamics around us here in Canada and frankly anywhere in the world are going to create this platform in this moment where extreme flexibility 
and really sort of inspecting your organization to say, what's that new operating model that we're going to need to carry us forward is what makes this hybrid paradox such an interesting but complex set of challenges. Well put. And it's definitely something I can relate to um, having that paradox out. And I was just talking with Ken here about, yeah, it would be nice to go back to the office and see people again. But then you start to think about some of the challenges of doing that right now. Uh, so I think it, you've, you've summarized it there very well. Ken, any observations there? Um, I think you've summarized it well. Um, I'm, it, I'm just really intrigued into the impact on collaboration when we have so many people in the office versus so many people working from home. Yeah. You know, it sort of feels like a big science experiment that we're all taking part in. And at least for Microsoft, this was literal because uh, science journal Nature uh, published a study about Microsoft employees and its findings describe some of this paradox you're talking about. Um, so we won't get into the study too much here, Jason, but you can tell me about your own experience working at Microsoft during the pandemic. And what do you think are the pros and cons? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of ways uh, maybe that I'll answer this. That's uh, certainly I'll say my personal experiences and personal perspective, um, but maybe interwoven with some of the the data that we found and published in that paper um, that you referred to. Uh, one which is without question, and we can all openly admit this, which is 2020, as we like to think about it, is the year that frankly work came home. And as we all brought work into our lives, one, there was benefits of it. We got to see a more personal side of so many of the people that we interact with. We got to see kids and pets uh, that humanized, I'll say, what was a very challenging experience, especially in those early days. And so for me, that was something that was absolutely beneficial. Uh, and I think still continues to exist to this day. Again, I was on a call a little earlier today and a, and a dog came walking across the screen. And so we still have those moments where we get these flashes of everybody's personal life. Uh, but what we also know to be true is in behind that is the hours stretched. Uh, we started earlier in the day because it was just so easy to wander down the hall or to the kitchen table or the kitchen counter and fire up a laptop, whether to do work or to jump onto calls. And similarly at the end of the day, which is there wasn't just that natural transition. And I'm not going to suggest for a moment that says, hey, we all operate on a nine to five fixed construct. Uh, but we have absolutely seen those lines stretch out. And, and speaking personally, uh, the same is true. That being said is, I'll say similar to contrast that, which is I've been able to trade off a 45 minute commute each way into the office. That is new time that I have gained back to be productive. And again, uh, my drives were great. Some days it was listening to music, some days it was listening to podcasts, but at the end of the day, regardless, it allowed for that natural transition of personal to professional in the morning, professional to personal in the evening. That's actually become net new productivity time for me. But it's also come again with some trade-offs, which is uh, in some ways that natural transition doesn't occur. And so things like virtual commute built into Teams has been really powerful. It's a great way to nudge me at the end of the day to say, hey, Jay, have you paused to reflect on the actions and the commitments that you've made through the course of the day? Uh, have you taken some space for yourself uh, through things like meditation and, and the integration that we have with Headspace? So that idea of the hour shifting is probably one of the biggest. The second, which is how work has changed. Uh, and in many ways, I'll say contrasting what a lot of organizations have found is we've actually seen fewer scheduled meetings 
and what I'll call a dramatic increase in this idea of asynchronous collaboration. This idea that says it's far more on the fly. Now you can interestingly contrast that to what was the office experience. We'd lean over the wall, we'd catch somebody at the water cooler. And so you saw certainly those attributes, I'll call it in the more traditional work-based environment that we've come from, uh, but we've absolutely seen that as a change, which is that reduction in scheduled meetings uh, and more agile. The third piece that maybe I'll touch on is this idea of uh, collaboration shifting from weak ties to strong ties. This idea that says uh, in many ways, and again, I can relate to this personally, those people that I only saw once in a while, have I been, have I been able to see them or have I intentionally created the space to do that over the last 18 months? Perhaps not, but I can tell you those that are those that I, that I work with the most consistently, I work with them deeply uh, and I've maintained deep connections through the entirety of the last 18 months um, to be able to move the business forward. Uh, and again, that idea of the water cooler talk and that social capital um, that in many ways we are missing and kind of gets back to my comment on that hybrid paradox. Absolutely. There's been trade-offs in there, uh, but we've also seen this deepening of ties. But when you start to look at organizational wide collaboration, knowing that diversity of thought comes from so many different places, there's absolutely been trade-offs in there. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, when you use that word, asynchronous collaboration. That caught my attention there, Jason. And to me, that means that you're collaborating on work, but you're working at different times. So you sort of have to pass things back and forth. Is, th is that what you meant by that? Yeah, it, it's spot on. And um, we, we tend to think of it on a, on a continuum of synchronous and asynchronous uh, work collaboration. You can just about put any category around it. Uh, it's really become the paramount norm, uh, which is again, recognizing for so many different reasons, whether it be personal life and striking the right balance there, caring for kids as we've had to all wrestle with uh, remote learning at the same time as having to be able to balance remote work uh, to caring for elderly family members, uh, ill family members, uh, or just looking for more flexibility in the day. Uh, the point that you made is so true. People are going to work at different times in different locations. And the idea being is how do we enable experiences where everybody can participate but most importantly, participate equally. Uh, to me, one of the big, I'll say, risks as we look forward post-pandemic, and I do believe we will get there, uh, is this idea of digital equity uh, and not unintentionally excluding people uh, who choose to have different work styles or work patterns um, than some of their peers. Yeah, it's a far cry from the expectation that we'll all just sit at our desks for eight hours a day. Ken, any thoughts? Uh, regarding this this paradox where we've got some people working remotely and because they want that focus time and then we've got some people working in the office because they want that focus time we've got managers in the office we've got their workers at home the the biggest paradox that comes to my mind or the biggest impact is around the meetings how can we save the business from themselves when it comes to hybrid meetings? Uh, the million dollar question of the day, Ken. Um, so I, I'd say, listen, there's a couple of pieces and, and in some ways I will walk back to the very earliest days uh, of the pandemic and I'll call it the emergency response or, or emergency shift to remote work um, that we've certainly seen, I'll say, loosen and flex to become really what we think about now is this hybrid reality. 
Um, without question, uh, video conferencing tools have become and in many ways are the enablers of what I'll call digital first responders. If I look at the way that organizations have changed, not only the way that they engage and connect to their employees and maintain connectivity of culture uh, and being able to frankly keep business moving, but being able to take that same sort of set of capabilities and turn it externally. This idea of virtual visits is one that I often talk to a lot of organizations about. Uh, in many ways, it's historically framed and thought more as being a healthcare statement, which is this idea of virtual consults with your doctor. But it's pretty horizontally applicable. You think about financial services, you think about insurance, you think about real estate, you think about retail. We've seen organization take the idea of what I'll call meetings and extend it into some pretty profound ways that frankly have enabled continuity of operations uh, through this period. That being said, I'm also not, uh, I'll say, confused or lost in this, uh, again, speaking personally, which is we are spending a lot of time in our screens and a lot of time in what I'll call virtual meetings. If I go back very early on to one of the, I'll say, earliest enhancements that we made inside Teams as a platform um, through this period of time is the idea of together mode that in many ways has become commonplace and almost an expected experience, which was acknowledging that we were all sitting in front of our screens in these meetings, looking at these little sort of two by two tiles, depending on the number of participants in a meeting and the strain that that actually put. And we were able to do the sort of neurological studies uh, with from our research point of view that said, hey, that idea of staring at that screen for an extended period of time actually put drain into the neurological capabilities that we had. And so our engineers took that as an opportunity to rethink the experience. And frankly, that's where together mode came together, which is allowing this people to see everyone in the meeting in one view as if we were in uh, a single boardroom or classroom together. Um, so that's just one very simple example. More importantly, as we've continued to iterate dramatically uh, as recent as uh, the end of last week, early part of this week, uh, new capabilities like Cameo mode, which is really all about creating more immersive experiences, being able to adapt uh, experiences, uh, innovating alongside our hardware ecosystem. And uh, so this idea of creating um, more immersive audio and video, recognizing using AI to recognize gestures so that it becomes a more natural user interface in the way that we engage with technology. And so this idea of constantly innovating, but most importantly is listening to our, our customers and our partners uh, has been a foundational sort of focus for us. Uh, again, recognizing that meetings are going to be important, um, but we want to enable the technology to play a great role. Similar to some of my earlier comments, the last piece maybe that I'll quickly add, which is a lot of this is also about, I'll call it process, which is how do we interact with the technology and how do we play a role? Uh, one of the great examples uh, that was shared with me from one of our customers uh, last week is this idea uh, in many ways that we were accustomed to in the past of having note takers in a meeting or time cops um, that were assigned roles. We're actually seeing more and more work to do things like facilitation roles. And that person's accountability in the context of that meeting experience is to ensure that they are bridging those that may be in a physical space and those with a digital. Uh, so that the idea being is everybody has a voice and everybody participates. Uh, and so those are some of the, uh, I'll call it innovations, certainly from a technology point of, point of view. Second piece is how we're seeing customers and humans, frankly, uh, adapt uh, to the experiences um, to ensure that you ensure these great sort of continuity of experiences. Jason, I'm so glad that you brought up that facilitator role, that yeah. process. How do we interact with it? 
we're recommending the exact same thing in our blueprint, run better meetings. Uh, one challenge that we do see the facilitator solving is making sure that you've got, if you've got 20 people in the room, then let's make sure we're still hearing from the four people on the phone or the four people mm -hmm. joining remotely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's such an important role uh, that I think we'll see more and more organizations adapt to and, and frankly uh, envision even things beyond that. Uh, there, there's this really important piece that in some ways comes back to some of the research findings that we've also um, uncovered, I'll say, through this period of time. Uh, and this one I very much do view as positive. Uh, in many ways, we can all appreciate, I'll say, diversity of experiences and capabilities of people that we work with. Uh, we have, I'll call them in just general terms, introverts, and we have those that are extroverts. Uh, and in some cases, when we've been historically in physical rooms together, uh, there are those individuals that perhaps don't find their own voice. What we've seen consistently emerge in the data is that in this virtual world, capabilities as simple as chat in the meeting are actually creating platforms for more people to participate and more people to find their voice. And so having moments where those that are perhaps more introverted uh, or perhaps um, are just shy earlier in career is a great another example. Uh, chat is enabling uh, broader participation in dialogues that I think just says so much about uh, the diversity of experiences and having a place where everybody is welcome. Yeah, um, this equal footing for meetings idea is interesting. And when I think about the challenges of somebody remote who's meeting with a group of people that are in a big boardroom, um, there's a lot of challenges there because what will tend to happen is the people in the boardroom uh, will focus on each other and talk to each other. And the person being remote uh, is just trying to hear what's going on and track the conversation. And it can be difficult. Um, and here's where there's, I think there's an interesting couple of features, not to get too geeky on the features here, Jason, but we have to talk about this intelligent camera feed and this idea that these virtual camera channels will exist in the conference room technology so that I'll be looking at my Microsoft Teams if I'm working from home. Uh, Ken and you are in the same boardroom, but I'm still seeing you in your individual video feeds as if you were both remote. So this is sort of an attempt to solve this problem for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of pieces. You touched on one of them, obviously, which is uh, the co-innovation uh, with our partners uh, across the hardware continuum uh, around intelligent cameras. Obviously, there's work that we are doing inside teams around individual video feeds. Uh, you can look at the companion experience in uh, Teams Mobile as another great example of it. Uh, again, this idea that says, how do we have an experience that uh, it feels as natural as possible? Uh, we may disagree on this point, but I'll, I'll frame it anyways. Uh, if we think pre-pandemic, uh, we can all relate to those moments where we were the ones that were in the boardroom. We had maybe one or two people that were dialing in remote. And you can empathize. You can think back to those moments in time where those in the meeting room were having the side chatter uh, with each other. Uh, somebody got up, grabbed a marker, and went to the whiteboard, and the poor uh, people or person uh, that was dialing in was struggling to follow along. And that, to me, was this world where those that were online were, I'll call it, second-class citizens in many ways to that meeting versus the first-class citizens that were in a room. 
as we look forward, I think that paradigm will actually flip. I think those that are uh, remote and, and joining virtually will actually become the first class citizens and those that are in the rooms will actually have to adapt uh, and do so intentionally. And again, this is where there's this great mixing and melding of uh, the scenarios and the challenges that technology can address and help us solve. And then there are those things that are very human and we need to find the great balance of those two to find success in this future world of hybrid that uh, we are in today and i believe we'll be in for quite some period of time yeah well put i think it's a time of experimentation uh for this sort of thing to see what will work and what people will like using um but let's sort of shift now to a different part of the experience that microsoft is focused on and you've launched a new mobile app uh it's called microsoft Viva Connections, and it's designed to provide a digital employee experience. Now we can hear about this app, but I think that um, what we're seeing during this pandemic is that a lot of people have been leaving their jobs. Uh, in fact, between April and September of this year, we saw record numbers of workers in the U.S. leaving their jobs. Uh, so, you know, that might be in part because people are not happy with their company's response to the new work reality, right? If their company comes in and says, um, you have to come back here and work full time in the office uh, and people don't want to do that, they'll say, OK, time to find a new job. But it might also just be because people miss the office and they miss the, the best aspects of sort of the reasons that they went to work, you know, the people they got to see every day there. And now they're thinking about work differently and they're recategorizing um, what's important to them. But uh, take us back, though, to this digital employee experience and Viva Connections, Jason. What is that going to address and why do we need a new app for it? Yeah, so what I might do maybe is give you a, <clears throat> a bit of a, a broader frame of reference, um, and then we can kind of drop into some of the specifics. So uh, without question, I'll say in many ways, uh, I'll say in the face of the pandemic, but certainly predated, which is uh, we continue to see what I'll call a pretty dramatic shift uh, to increasingly distributed and digital work environments. We've seen the, the, the idea of demand for solutions that support corporate culture, uh, knowledge and expertise, discovery and connection to on-the-job learning and employee well-being, uh, really moving to the foreground. Uh, as we look at it, I'll say as Microsoft, we've defined what I'll call a broad set of capabilities and almost a new sort of category of solutions that we think about as employee experience platforms, which are really centered uh, and premised on the idea of putting people at the center and bringing together both systems of work alongside systems of support into an integrated experience. And most importantly is being able to do so, more importantly, I'll say because of the last 18 months and as we look forward, finding a great role to bridge the physical and the digital. Uh, for us, as we think about Viva broadly, it provides uh, people with the resources and support they need to succeed and thrive no matter their location. But it's not just about work, it's about how do they actually grow themselves and how do they better themselves. The idea of things like personal productivity, skills development, that have a play uh, a very important role to what you had referred to or is now broadly kind of referred to as the great resignation, uh, which we might come back to. And so in February of this year, we announced the launch of Microsoft Viva, uh, the first employee experience platform to bring sort of those tools for employee engagement, learning, well-being, and knowledge to uh, knowledge discovery 
directly into the flow of people's work. And when I say into the flow of people's work, we believe that to be delivered inside Microsoft Teams is the hub through which uh, a large percentage of, I'll call it the remote work is getting done today. It's designed ultimately to help employees learn, grow, and thrive uh, and unlock new experiences that integrate with the productivity and collaboration capabilities across Microsoft 365 and Microsoft Teams. When we think specifically about Viva Connections, and I'll, I'll start there and then happy to go in any other direction, we really see Viva Connections as that hub, that hub for uh, continuity, for connections, for communication, and frankly, for culture. Uh, inside an organization delivered with consistency across both the desktop experience as well as the mobile experience. And so, yes, the mobile was most recently, um, I'll call it G8 as we refer to it, or released. Um, the desktop experience was uh, released a little bit earlier. Um, but the idea being is uh, having this very natural experience. In many ways, you can think about it as uh, the reincarnation or the redesign of the intranet experience where you can bring um, experiences, content, dashboards, apps into the context and into the flow of work, but doing so in a way that is contextually relevant to you as an individual or as an employee. And what I mean by that specifically, think about uh, an organization, perhaps in the manufacturing or the retail sector. You generally will see two profiles of workers, those that are in the corporate offices, what we often think about as knowledge workers, and you'll have those individuals that may be in the shop floor experience or in the retail store experience, uh, often referred to as frontline workers. Viva Connections actually allows you to curate an experience that is uniquely personal to each of those role types and to each of those individuals. And so again, in a world where we are working in a highly distributed way with a high degree of flexibility, we wanna create platforms where people can feel connected to their organization, to the content that matters the most. Okay. Interesting. So different from collaboration, but more about a cultural experience. Uh, Ken, any thoughts on that? I'm really interested, Jason, to hear more about where you've had good successes with this Viva app. Uh, if you're able to share some of those successes and, and how people have used this app or how people have used the larger tool yeah, so um, again, maybe I'll, I'll start uh, to give a bit of a broader framework. When we think about Microsoft Viva uh, holistically, uh, we view it today as a, a modular-based uh, set of platform capabilities or platform services. Viva Connections, we've talked a little bit about, and I'll come back to that, which is really about that community and communications. Second module uh, that is available today is something called Viva Insights, and that's really about empowering both personal but uh, organizational productivity and well-being. The third is uh, Viva Topics, which is all about curating uh, experiences and content and expertise. And so you think about the idea of uh, onboarding of a new employee and enabling them with the connections to both content and expertise to empower them to do their job, but obviously be able to find uh, those that answer questions. Again, in a world where we are not physically in an office, we don't have proximity uh, as our friend, meaning we can't simply lean over the wall. We need to think about how we curate experiences where uh, artificial intelligence in many ways can play a role to do that. Uh, and then the humans can sort of go augment it. And then the last is this idea called Viva Learning, which is really about bringing learning and skills growth directly into the flow of work. Uh, so back to your question, uh, Brian, uh, here's a couple of examples that I would give you. 
Uh, and it is equally applicable, I'll say broadly, across each of the four modules that we've announced for Microsoft Viva. The reality of it is today, when you look at any organization, large or small, it just becomes a factor of the complexity that generally will emerge. Organizations today spend one, a lot of money, but two, more importantly, create a lot of complexity for themselves, having to procure a lot of independent services. We can relate to this as consumers today. In some cases, I'll say in positive ways, in some cases, less positive ways, which is this idea of context switching. As an employee, again, where you're remote, you're at home, I'll say to a degree isolated, being able to go find the resources that matter the most, to go find the contents that matters the most, to go find the people and the knowledge and the expertise that matter the most, is becoming more and more complex in organizations as they create these siloed applications. Where we've seen the most, I'll say, compelling use cases is one, to be a great aggregator. We see Viva as a platform that connects to a broad ecosystem of services and uh, capabilities, whether it be in the learning environment, uh, partners like SuccessFactors, Saba, uh, Courseware, LinkedIn Learning, the ability to aggregate all of that content into a single user experience, again, delivered natively in the sort of the flow of work, again, Microsoft Teams, becomes really powerful. We see the same thing across a range of capabilities, not just in the learning category. So that's one. Two is uh, particularly, I'll say in the last 18 months, this idea of culture uh, and connection to organization purpose uh, is become such a strong discussion uh, in a world where we are all highly distributed, again, not necessarily in proximity to one another, not necessarily in a physical workspace. How do we go foster connection and culture in our organization? Uh, and we've seen Viva Connections be a pretty powerful platform to enable organizations to do that. Uh, we have a number of customers uh, that have actually used it as a platform for relaunching their organization, uh, relaunching new brands through this pandemic period of time. Uh, and they're choosing modern experiences to be able to go do that. Okay, that's a lot of great detail about Viva. Um, it's funny because I grew up in Aurora, just north of Toronto here. And uh, the, the York Region pu Public Transit was also named Viva. Um, so that's <laughs> that's always my association with it. So I have to remind myself, uh, Viva Connections is, about, is not about getting the next bus to go somewhere. But let's talk about, no, <laughs> let's talk about visual collaboration, Jason, because uh, this is one more point I want to hit on here before we wrap up. And I noticed that a lot of the new integrations that are coming to Teams are with uh, solutions like eMiro, Mural, LucidSpark, and Freehand. Uh, so these are in that visual problem solving and brainstorming space. And I guess we all just really miss taking that marker to the whiteboard, as you mentioned. So tell me more about why Microsoft is enabling those types of interactions. Yeah, so uh, I'll answer on two perspectives, uh, and one I'll say more recently, as of last week, uh, last week, yeah, I think it was last week, uh, we also announced uh, a series of updates to Microsoft Whiteboard. Um, but we also recognize that uh, customers want choice, um, but what we know to be true is a couple of things. One is uh, people collaborate in many different ways, uh, and offering a whiteboard or visual experience has in many ways been at the core of our solution areas for as long as I can remember. Uh, the whiteboard experience is one that really brings to light uh, that divide in digital equity, whether you're in the room or on a physical whiteboard or you're in a virtual environment. The idea of being able to brainstorm collectively to find those collaborative, collaborative moments to come together and ideate 
uh, and participate inclusively, uh, I think becomes really profound. The second piece of it, which is without question, we also can't do it in person in most cases right now. And so being able to deliver those as digital experiences for problem solving and brainstorming, uh, businesses are moving forward. Uh, and most importantly, I think it's one of the things uh, that is so critical to our ability to move forward, which is that spark of innovation uh, for organizations to continue to collaborate, but being able to do so in this idea of one space together in real time. It kind of comes back, Brian, in many ways to the discussion we're having about synchronous and asynchronous. We want people to be able to equally participate, share their ideas, bring together diversity of thought and experiences, but have everybody be able to walk away with a shared experience, one that is consistent across all of the UIs uh, or the experiences or devices that they may be connecting with. And so again, we will continue to innovate, I'll say with Microsoft Whiteboard, uh, with a, a bunch of announcements that we made last week, uh, but we will also continue to partner across the ecosystem to bring, uh, I'll call it diversity of experiences directly into the flow of work. Ken, any final thoughts? Humans are visual creatures. <laughs> we like trying to explain something without being able to show people something really hard. So I've I've been relying a lot on Microsoft PowerPoint because I can on client calls, I can bring up Microsoft PowerPoint. I can make a wee little doodle with the different shapes, type down some text, and then I can attach it to an email and send it off. Um, how is Microsoft and how how are you handling that external collaboration uh, use case, especially from a visual perspective? So generally speaking, we've always uh, say empowered collaboration across borders. Uh, you can think about uh, obviously the shared channels experience inside of Teams, being able to invite guests uh, into that experience. Uh, and being able to uh, provide IT the empowerment to enable policies that support the security and privacy that you would expect. Uh, and so we will continue in some cases, uh, they may be native, in some cases uh, they may be uh, plugins, I'll call them as apps, uh, but we will continue to think uh, consistently about how we enable both inside the firewall or in intra-organization as well as extra-organization uh, collaboration, recognizing that so much of uh, the great innovation that happens uh, for our customers and frankly for the country uh, is often done with partners that exist outside of our organization. And so uh, 100% agree with you. Uh, we are visual as humans uh, and we want to continue to make sure that we expose those experiences. And Jason, which of these would you say is your favorite? Of the, the visualization tools? Yeah. Ah, good question. Um, I, I do. I am a big whiteboard person. Uh, in some ways, that may be, uh, I'll say, a little bit biased. It may be a little influenced by a lot of the history that I already have inside my whiteboard app, uh, and uh, that I often go back to. Uh, it it would probably be my go-to. Uh, in all honesty. Uh, that being said, uh, I always love to jump around. Uh, I do have these moments where I do like to. I'll call it geek out. Uh, I haven't tried them all, and so uh, I'm always also all ears for other ideas. Yeah, that's great. I've been just my personal plug. I've been using Miro lately, and I find it is a really nice space to work on with a bunch of people, and it does a good job of keeping everything in sync. And just having that unlimited canvas uh, does it for me personally. I like yeah. the way you can sort of use it to do anything. 
But uh, like you, Jason, I haven't used them all either. Anyway, we should wrap this up because this has been a long podcast. And Jason, you've done such a great job answering all of our questions. So thanks so much for coming on Tech Insights. No problem. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks so much, Ken. And Ken, thank you for joining us as well. This was delightful. Thank you for having me. And for listeners of Tech Insights, remember to subscribe to the podcast because you won't catch the next exciting episode about technology issues if you don't subscribe. So hit that button, give us a review, let us know what you think, and we'll catch you next time on Tech Insights. I'm Brian Jackson.